And all it warrant is, is, hey, after I get all my money paid back, I want a return. I'm basically swapping out my interest and taking a, a percentage of the value in the future. So they'll get paid back in four or five years all their money. And then a year or two later, they'll get an amount equal to 15, 20% of the value of the company. From Rain Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow your business. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. If you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, please visit our website at www.raycpa.com podcast to sign up for updates. Employee stock ownership plans continue to grow in popularity. Today, more and more owners are considering ESOPs as their ideal succession strategy. They realize that it is a great way to empower their team and promote continued business growth long after they retire. Today on Unsuitable, we're going to answer the big question business owners are asking concerning ESOPs. What's in it for me? And to help us answer this question, we have ESOP expert Ted Lape back with us again to dig into this topic. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Ted. Thanks a lot, Doug. It's great to be back. Great to have you on, as always, because this is just such, obviously, an important topic and uh, certainly very topical, as it were, because you know, so many business owners, as as um, we've seen, as as the boomers age and all of that, they're they're ready to get out, right? And and starting to think about various forms of, you know, how do I exit my my business? What's the right way? What should I be thinking about? So, from a big picture perspective, what are what are some of the most common ways that you see ownership transitions take place for for our closely held businesses? Yeah, well, obviously, I think the ones people know the most are you sell to uh, your competitor, you sell to private equity, um, you do an ESOP, or you try to somehow transition to your management team. And then, of course, the final one is somehow within the family. Transitioning to the management team always sounds good until they kind of get into it. And what they find out is typically the management team has no money. Right. When you try to do it without with post um, tax dollars, it takes like 15 years, and they say, "Well, I don't want to do that." And that's a lot of times when they'll come to us to talk about an ESOP because with all the tax advantages, they end up getting a lot more. The uh, key management does really well, and the tax benefits really help make it happen. So we'll look at, "Hey, is a sale to a third party?" better as an ESOP better do is doing nothing better sometimes doing nothing's better because you got to go fix some stuff well you know we kind of look at all that stuff and help them think through it yeah and you know we've got obviously companies that it seems like are, are selling at a record pace you know whether it's people that that went through the great recession and, and now COVID and it's like hey I, you know I want an exit ramp right so really taxes I, I mean when you think about it and we've got you know, potential for capital gains, tax increases, who knows what's coming. Taxes are, are a big driver for ultimately what can be the best decision here, right? 
Yeah, last year was a record year for for us, and this year we're probably going to double revenue. <laughs> and a lot of that is is tax driven. It's sort of two things coming together. One, you mentioned, you know, that people have lived through some stuff. So there was nine eleven. Most of them have lived through nine eleven, the oh eight oh nine, you know, Great Recession, and now COVID. Right. And when you said, "Hey, I'm ready to get off the extra ramp," we're hearing that a lot. And then you combine that with, you know, that whole silver tsunami, um, the amount of people over 65 or uh, baby boomers, you know, 50% owners want to sell the next five years, according to all sorts of studies, 75% the next 10 years. So you got demographics, you got, hey, we've been through these three horrible things. And, and now you throw on the taxes. So um, on the tax side, I know you know this better than anyone, but President Biden has proposed almost really doubling capital gains, uh, taking ordinary income way, way up, reducing the amount, uh, uh, the exclusions for what you give your kids. All that stuff means uh, ESOPs are more popular because as you know, with an ESOP, you can sell tax-free, the company becomes tax-free, and there's some things you can do that help with the transition for generations. And so when you go to an owner and you say, hey, all that stuff everyone's worried about, you don't have to worry about. Right. They, they get pretty excited. It's pretty attractive. The other thing that's happening is a lot of people are rushing to try to sell their company by year end. And one thing I didn't think about until we, you know, we also do M&A, we're doing a really large deal right now, but um, in talking to a bunch of, of professionals, they said, hey, here's what's gonna happen. The buyers all know these deals have to happen by year end. Right. So right around November, all of a sudden, the buyer's going to start changing the deal on the sellers because uh, they know, you know, what are they going to do? They're gonna go <clears> they have all the buyer. leverage at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, hey, am I going to go find another buyer? Right. And we think we'll get a flood of deals then because a lot of stuff we get is uh, broken uh, M&A deals. It's maybe a quarter of, of what we do. Yeah, because all whatever happened that they didn't like in the M and A process, the mean buyer, people retrading, bad for their people, bad for keeping it, whatever it was, usually the ESOP is a lot better. And yeah, beyond you know, we'll get into some of the the tax uh, advantages here in a bit. But I think to me, the best thing about ESOPs are it, it's the culture and the the team and the legacy that remains in place. I mean, I can't tell you even in the last couple of years how many deals I've seen that have been third-party sales, uh, private equity deals where, I mean, within six months, half the management team's gone because they can't stand the the culture and, and what's going on. So um, talk a little bit about that with an ESOP, how it, the, the consistency that you see. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, those, those same, you know, studies where they surveyed thousands of, of sellers found that 75% of people profoundly regretted selling within a year. Mm, wow. And with, and with with an ESOP, you don't have that because nothing changes. Um, right. Usually the seller continues to run the company and controls, you know, the, the day-to-day hiring, firing, buying equipment, opening offices, all that kind of stuff. The trustee's really more involved in just what's the fair value of, 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 of the deal and not really involved in running of the company. So because none of that stuff changes, the culture doesn't change the people are more excited. I mean, it, the culture changes because the people are more engaged. Right. You know, a lot of third-party peer-reviewed studies show that 
you get four to five percent productivity increases. We've seen uh, tremendous gains where all of a sudden overtime goes down and productivity goes up, turnover goes down, engagement goes up, um, and people it's just more fun. Yeah, I, we've we've definitely seen that with with our clients that have done them. I would say you know it's typically like twelve to to eighteen months in before. It seems like is that your experience where the employees really start to click with that? Um, yeah, I sort of bifurcated the white collar office type employees get it quickly, and, and it happens pretty quick. Uh, studies show you get about a four to five percent increase in productivity the first okay. year for those people. The the more blue collar employees, a lot of times, are kind of skeptical the first year or two. Yeah, um, and really with them, I almost see it more after the second year. Okay, because. Um, they get that first statement and they say, oh, well, maybe something's here, but I still don't get it. And then they get the second statement and they've got twice as much stock and the price has gone up both years. And now, oh, hey, maybe this thing's real, you know? Yeah. And that's, so I almost bifurcated white collar versus blue collar. Yeah. Interesting. So let's talk about what can be one of the real advantages. And, and that is the the tax play that, that you have with, with an ESOP. So Give us an overview of some of the advantages there and some of the, the strategies, at least from a high level, that, that you're seeing. Yeah. So, obviously, um, the ones that people talk about the most is the owner can sell tax-free. The company becomes tax-free. There's additional sort of pre-closing deductions. Those are kind of the, the big ones that that most people kind of look at mm-hmm. when the employees get their money. It's also tax deferred because it's a retirement plan. Um, so those are the, the big ones. Why is the company tax free? Let's start with that. That's the easiest. Normally when you do an ESOP, uh, it's an, you, you, you make it an S corporation, whether you're currently an LLC or a C corp or whatever. You right. Know, it's an and there's math reasons why selling 100% usually is the best answer. Now, you could sell any percentage you want, but often uh, the 100% is the best answer. And if you do that, you're 100% owned by a retirement plan, like a 401k. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ESOP is basically a 401k with your stock instead of IBM or Apple or whatever. So if you're owned by a retirement plan, you don't pay federal or state tax in almost all states. You don't pay federal tax anywhere. And now you got a tax-free company. Well, think about if the company's tax-free and you're not paying 40, 50% tax, whatever, you got a lot of money to pay back the owner, to invest in equipment, uh, right? money for management and for the employees. And that's a, that's a lot more money. Uh, so that's very, very powerful. And then the ability for the owner to sell tax-free, well, at current tax rates, it's attractive. It's great, uh, but you don't necessarily need to take advantage of it because you still do pretty well. Yeah. Well, where taxes are headed, people are very, very concerned. And all of a sudden, they're like, uh, I'm getting calls. I haven't talked to people in years. They're like, tell me about that again. How <laughs> <laughs> does that, that work? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, all of a sudden, I'm a lot of people's best friend. But um, so that's that's really good. And then there's just some other sort of like the Ginsu knife, but wait, there's more there's yeah. other tax advantages that can be millions of dollars that are on top of all that. 
Yeah, and and it's it's so important to think about whether or not you believe okay, capital gains rates probably aren't certainly going to double, but they are likely to increase significantly. And you know the other thing, the big one that I think maybe isn't quite getting as much play, but but certainly we're we're paying a lot of attention to and is very important, and that is the the lower lifetime exclusion from yeah. the estate tax. You know um, that's going to sunset anyway under the current law. Yeah. And that's going to have a massive impact, right? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things we've done, brief commercial for us, is we've really invested in, um, we've got five accountants, five attorneys, we've got all these people. And you're right. So it's currently 11 and a half million per person or 11.7. Yeah. It's the yeah, index for inflation. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that people can give, um, and that's going to go down, I think, to five million. You can tell me at the end of twenty-five. President right. Biden would like to take that to three and a half million each. Well, if you're selling your company, you know, you sell for twenty million, and then you take that money and you invest it, you know, um, at ten percent or we'll call it eight percent every nine years, that doubles. Well, you're going to end up with a lot of money. And if you can only exclude seven million per kid, now I say only. You know, most people listening to the podcast will say, well, that's you know. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but but if you're selling your company for twenty, fifty, a hundred million, and then you right. get that and invest it, you know that's a lot of money, and all the money above what you can give gets taxed at forty percent. Right. Well, we have strategies to greatly reduce that and to transition it to other generations uh, through these uh, um, to avoid you know that forty percent tax and or at least a lot of it. Yeah, it's it's so important, and you know we're we're having a lot more of those estate planning type of conversations with with our clients probably than we have in in several years um, due to the the proposed changes and and certainly the the sunsetting of that massive exemption. It, and if you think about it, it, doesn't take much. You know, if your business does, you know, EBITDA of you know let's say three or four million, well, you know, all of a sudden you're you're looking at maybe a, you know, 15 to $20 million type transaction, you know? So yeah. it's, it, it's not, you know, people, as you say, it, it sounds like it's, it's a lot, but it, it's not, your business doesn't have to be that big, really. No, it, it, it really doesn't. And you, uh, you get into all sorts of issues. And the other thing is a lot of these entrepreneurs, their entire net worth is tied up in the company. Right. So they don't have a lot of equipment. They're not thinking about this it seems kind of crazy to them that they would have enough money they'd have to worry about it. Yeah. Well, when you sell your company, all of a sudden you got money you never had before and, and these things become a real thing. And so getting ahead of that is is important. Yeah. Now, have you seen, what have you seen in terms of, say, the impact of, of PPP loans and, and that with, um, with, with deals that are in process, um, that type of thing? Is that impact? Yeah, that's anything? a great question. So, when you sell your company, whether it's to an ESOP or a third party or whatever, hopefully you've gotten your PPP loan forgiven. Uh, if you haven't, you have to escrow it. So what that means is, you know, you got a million dollars um, and your PPP loan is not forgiven. You go to sell for 20 million. Well, you can't just take all the money. You got to leave a million dollars escrowed with the bank that did the loan uh, until it does get forgiven. And then sometimes people will get into perhaps some warranties around that, that if for some reason it's unforgiven later or 
whatever you got to give you know you got to give back that money but that's sort of esoteric the main thing is you gotta you gotta escrow it but yeah so getting ahead of that and putting in the paperwork to get it forgiven is a good thing is key Uh, so you don't have to deal with all that but you know it, it gets to kind of a bigger issue too how do you you know when you look at the last couple of years how do you sort of normalize what a company really is you know <laughs> because yeah. we've had so many all these variables thrown at us yeah oh and one other thing before i get into that because that's a great point if you're with one bank and you're doing the ppp loan and then you do a transaction and you want to do another bank that can create some issues that we've had to work through yeah good point but in terms of you're right normalizing We've had a lot of that because uh, we do a lot of contractors. We do, you know, we do everything. We do manufacturers, district, we do all of them. The contractors are about a third of what we do. They're about half of what we did last year. And there's supply chain issues and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Right. So when you're doing the ESOP uh, or if you're just selling to a third party, we have that on our third party sales too. Um, there's all these COVID advocates, like had it not been for COVID, you know, I wouldn't have had these delays in construction or I wouldn't, you know, right. we're doing an auto parts manufacturer right now and Honda shut down, you know, yeah. how do you, so you have all these advocates. So a lot of times what's happening is people are going back to 2019 and saying, well, what'd you do then? Yeah. And they're sort of basing it off 2019. We've been pretty successful about not getting into things like, um, okay, well, we're going to do that, but we've got some uncertainty around the future because you did have this weird 2020 and 2021, you know, so we're going to look for clawbacks or earnouts, meaning, yeah, we'll give you, you know, $50 million, but 10 of that is contingent. You know, if you don't hit your numbers, we're going to take away 10 minutes. Or we're going yeah. to give you 40, but if you hit whatever numbers, you get 50. We've been pretty good about not getting into a whole lot of that, but sometimes you can't. I mean, there's you have to because uh, it was so disruptive in 2020 and maybe part of 21 that, that people are saying, hey, I just don't know that you can do that until things, you know, two or three years down the road. And people are like, well, I don't want to wait two or three years. So right. Yeah. I'm going to get myself in the same position that I would have been if I, you know, if I waited just by doing the earn out or the, or the clawback because yeah. my total value will be based on what I do out in the future. And that's what I would have gotten anyway. Yeah. So some, you know, occasionally we do get into that where uh, if people really want to do it now, but they want, they want to get value for what they know is going to happen in the future. Right. Get into some of that stuff where they will get that extra value in the future. But we prefer to keep it simple if we can. Yeah, we we certainly we're dealing with some of that with the quality of earnings things that that we're looking at. You know, how do you really normalize for that? Um, I'm not yeah. sure what what the new normal is anymore. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. But well, yeah, and it's a lot of our clients are having record years. You know, we're we're seeing that certainly in, in construction in many cases. Yeah. But uh, you talked a little bit about upside too. Now there's there's ways for even though. You know, company might sell 100% to an ESOP. There, there's still ways for the owner, the existing owner, to get get some future upside. There, isn't there? You guys have a couple of strategies that may work uh, along those lines. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, a lot of times an owner says, "Gee, 
you know, I want to work another five, six years and I'm going to get, you know, paid through the ESOP. Usually you get your, your purchase price in like four years and then you get a whole bunch of, you don't get all your money closed. So you get about a 12% return on the money you didn't get. So you get all this extra money. Well, you can take that in the form of interest. Right. But that doesn't give you any upside if you do better down the road. So a lot of people, uh, and we're doing uh, ESOPs, believe it or not, more and more with younger people who want it culturally. Yeah. And they're like, hey, I'm going to be around a while. I want that second bite of the apple, third bite of the apple. So what we'll do is, um, you know, if we're not getting into earnouts and all that, is instead of interest um, on, on the um, amount they didn't get a close, they'll get something called a warrant. Mm-hmm. Now what Warren is, is, hey, after I get all my money paid back, I want a return, I'm especially swapping out my interest and taking a, a percentage of the value in the future. So they'll get paid back in four or five years, all their money. And then a year or two later, they'll get an amount equal to 15, 20% of the value of the company. And the re- reason that works out well is, yeah, they're taking a little bit of risk that the company's going to do well. But if it does at least as well as they projected, they'll end up getting more money because they get to hold that longer. Right. But it also gets capital gains treatment uh, instead of ordinary income, and that's a much better tax treatment. Absolutely. Um, But the other cool thing you can do with that is this money I'm supposed to get in the future, this financial instrument, well, when I close my deal, it's not worth much. So I can gift that to my kids or put it in trust or whatever and not use up that exclusion we were talking about earlier and then it grows to be worth millions of dollars and i got it out of my estate i don't have to pay that 40 percent tax it grows well that's awesome yeah absolutely yeah it's a lot you know when you when you think about it through all of that it's just you know it's a great way to really plan uh, for your future, you know, your family's future. And I, I think, you know, again, as we talked about initially, the coolest part is is the legacy and then the buy-in that that you get from the employees. Oh, yeah. Everybody's oh, yeah. so so proud to feel like they're they're a part of the the company, you know. Um I just and it's tremendous because, you know, the company doesn't its identity doesn't go away. You know, that's just so important. Yeah, you, culturally, it's wonderful. And the other thing is, I'm sure some uh, wealth management person out there will correct this, but the last statistic I saw is I think the average person retires with like $51,000. Well, right. with ESOPs, it's hundreds of thousands. We've got ones that are millions. I mean, you really do change lives. Yeah. Yeah. Your employees can really benefit. We're, yeah. We just did one in a small town where they're the biggest employer. And there's a lot of people that are going to be getting hundreds of thousands to over a million in this small town that, you know, hasn't been doing great. And it's really going to change a whole lot of lives in that town. That is awesome. I mean, I, I think that's that's fantastic. Now, we should talk a, a little bit about there are some additional requirements uh, with, with an ESOP. You mentioned that the trustee, you know, you are owned by. Uh, a retirement plan, so the Department of Labor has has oversight over that. Correct. So, talk a little bit about some of the those those requirements, um, if you. Yeah. Could. So, um, you know, when you we're doing an ESOP, we think a lot about process. You know, the, the Department of Labor likes to see a certain process and a certain documentation. 
And so we make sure that we do all that stuff that they want. Now, the owner doesn't have to worry about that. We kind of do that. Yeah. And, and, and then the attorneys are also there. And so we make sure that we have a nice process. And we're very fortunate. We've never had any company have any problem with the Department of Labor. Um, and that's an important thing to find out if you're looking at ESOP, uh, the people yep. you're dealing with. So you got to do that stuff right. The biggest thing they, they probably look at is, was it a fair vet? Mm-hmm. And because we do the, the book, just like if we're selling you to a third party, the data room, all that stuff, to justify it, you know, we can get a nice fair and full value. Yep. But you don't want to be getting crazy values. And then, the, you know, uh, sometimes people get a little tricky and, um, you know, uh, uh, there's some folks out of New York and other places that want to all of a sudden trick it up and have, you know, triple backflip kind of things going on. And, <laughs> So the Department of Labor doesn't like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so we want to take advantage of everything that you should take advantage of um, and do some sophisticated planning without getting too tricky where, you know, you get in trouble. Yeah. So if you do things right, you know, that that's not a real issue. And then going forward, um, you have a third-party administrator who kind of handles a lot of that stuff that you got to, think about they'll file the form 50 500 and do discrimination testing and they'll look out in the future and say hey you got to buy the stock back way down the road right you know, let's make sure we got enough money for that and so you have people that help you think about all that stuff yeah so getting that right team is, a, is an important thing but if oh, you I do have... all that stuff it's not a you know it's not real a, a real big issue yeah and we see that in our markets as well with certain, you know, there's other CPA firms, for example, that maybe aren't as comfortable with the, all the accounting, uh, it certainly becomes more sophisticated. It's, 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 you know, it's a little more challenging, but we love them for our clients. But I know, you know, again, those are things you got to make sure you got the right team in place up front and, and your professionals know what they're doing and aren't going to be uh, scared off by something they just don't have experience with. Yeah, you don't want an accountant who's never done an ESOP or done two. You don't right. want an attorney that, you know, this is, hey, I can do that. <laughs> you, know, you know, well, how many have you done and what's the track record? And yeah. Same thing with the third-party administrator, uh, certainly the investment banker. It's funny. You'll see a lot of people go, oh, I can do that. Right. Well, how many have you done in the last year? Yeah. You know, the other thing you have to think a little bit about in ESOPs is there's some inherent conflicts of interest. The people have and some people are very clear about that and other people kind of cross lines <laughs> yeah good point. so for example most people pick i'm either going to represent buyers or sellers and if i represent yeah. buyers i'm a valuation firm let's say. yeah then i'm working with trustees to make sure they don't overpay i'm, I'm more of a goalie right and we're we only represent sellers yeah because how do we, how can we represent buyers, be a valuation firm? Right. And they, you know, the, the trustees are the people who hire the valuation firms. Well, if I got a hundred engagements with a certain trustee, they're paying me a ton of money. And now I'm representing, you know, my client in a negotiation against that trustee. Well, how hard am I really going to negotiate? Right. Yeah, exactly. Who do I care more about the guy who's got sending me a hundred deals or the guy who I'm, you know, just doing the one deal with. Right. Um, and then you'll run into that in all sorts of areas of ESOP. So you got to kind of 
the people you bring in, it's, it's important. Yeah. Well, that's why you guys are, are you know, the, the best out there at, at doing these things. You take it, you know, you've got a process, you uh, have the right professionals involved and you know what you're doing. You've been through uh, a number of these things and you know the, the way to, to deal with it. Um, it's just like anything. We're all, we all have our areas of expertise and you don't want to, uh, don't want to stray from that. And, and, and a transaction as important as selling your business, you should have the best, best experts involved. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you do it once in your life. It's millions and millions of millions of dollars. So get, get the right people. Yeah. Well, this is awesome stuff, Ted. I mean, we could talk about this all day and, and get into the weeds. And I, I love, it's a fascinating uh, subject and one that's so meaningful for our business owner audience out there and, and clientele. And, and, you know, it's, uh, we'd love to, uh, to talk to you about this stuff further. And I know we'll have you back on again. So thanks again. Thanks a lot, Doug. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, please visit our podcast page at www.racecpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 